Welcome to Before You Relocate, the home of personal stories regarding relocating. Before You Relocate seeks to give a real-life perspective regarding the process and experience of relocating, what to expect, what not to expect, and everything that comes in between. Welcome again to another episode. I'd like to introduce you all to someone. Hi everyone, my name is Caroline Washeke Murigi Krauya. Um, I'm from Kenya. I have been living and working in the Netherlands for the last 15 years. In the past two and a half years, I've been working as a career coach and consultant. But before that, I worked as an executive assistant, uh, mostly for uh, to corporate company leaders which is a career I really, really enjoyed. And to be honest, it's the career that brought me to where I am right now, you know, helping people find career opportunities in the Netherlands. I've also worked as an IT trainer, and I've also worked as a mobile demand manager in a very technical business setting. But that's a story for another day. Before I became a career coach and consultant, I absolutely loved being an executive assistant. I loved being in the space of, you know, working with leaders, supporting them, um, being the right hand person to them. Um, I even learned quite a lot, you know, on how leaders, you know, operate both um, in business and in uh, um, their personal lives. And what has what was fascinating was you know, how, what makes these people, you know, attain such positions? And being in that space really inspired me, and that's the job that I absolutely enjoyed and did for a very, very long time. But I have found my passion, my other passion, mm-hmm. um, and that is career coaching and consulting. And this has actually been a collection of my entire career in the Netherlands, everything that I've learned, you know, working with leaders, working with different team members, working with, you know, um, uh, in a corporate setting, knowing the ins and outs of the corporate world, um, that has actually brought me to where I am today, that I'm able to help other people achieve success in their careers, doing what they they're really good at what complements their educational background and their work experiences from you know from from their home countries are you working by yourself as a self-employed person or a company are you employed by somebody else i am a self-employed person one or two episodes before we talked about self-employment do you think that is relevant to you, those information? Can you also apply them here? Is it something that was indeed uh, beneficial for you also? Absolutely. That was really good information, um, especially if you want to start as a self-employed person. In the Netherlands, it's called ZZP. Um, you can also start a company, which is a BV. Um, so I am a Z- ZZP, which is a self-employed person or entrepreneur um, and that was really important information you know um, that for someone who doesn't have that that information that level of information that they could 
find quite useful. Let's dive a little bit deeper into the work uh, environment. And uh, to be able to legally work in the Netherlands, you definitely need a work permit. Absolutely. What kinds of work permits are there? What do they allow you to do and what do they not allow you to do? And uh, is it attached to a visa, for example? Yes, so there are so many different types of work permits in the Netherlands. um, And they all have their own rules and regulations that accompany them. Um, So the main ones that I've seen and most of the clients I work with um, have a student visa, which uh, comes with a residence permit and a working permit where they're allowed to work um, certain amount of hours as students. How many hours? 20 hours a week. Um, But after they graduate, they get another different visa, which is called um, a Sachia visa. Uh, In the Netherlands, it's called a Zukia visa. And um, with this visa, they are allowed to work as many hours as possible. So they can work, they can do a full-time job, they can work in any company, but this visa is uh, is only valid for a year. So the the goal of that visa is for them to find a job with a company that is actually going to sponsor them to continue staying in the Netherlands after that year is over. So that is very important, that they need to um, be actively looking for a job that is going to sponsor them so that they can continue staying. So which means that after one year, if you have not found a job with an accompanying sponsor, you'll have to leave. Yes, you go back home. And then um, another visa is um, we have a lot of people who have relocated to the Netherlands or to Europe um, for family purposes. So you have a spouse um, that is from a European country. So you're coming to join them. Um, and that is a sort of like a partnership or a family reunion or a marriage visa. Um, and this visa, actually, uh, you're able to, you, you have the same rights as Dutch people. So you can work for any company. You don't need any sponsorship from your employer. And as long as you're with that partner, you are um, considered the same as a Dutch uh, citizen um, or a Dutch residence. So this has more flexibility and, um, you know, most of the people who have these visas, it's very easy for them to find job opportunities. My mind goes to the situation whereby your partner has to leave the Netherlands for one reason or another. Are you still allowed to stay? Well, if they're leaving the Netherlands to go visit somewhere for a short while, then by all means, um, this person is still registered in the Netherlands, um, so you can stay with that visa. But if they decide to relocate and then leave you here, then you have to live with them. Because one of the conditions of this visa is you need to be living together in the same address. So if he or she is not registered in the same address as you, then your visa is no longer valid. All right. Um, And another visa that, um, another type of working visa uh, that I, I, most of my clients have is, um, you know, um, we have the expatriates. So people who have relocated to Europe or to the Netherlands um, 
to do a job. Um, these people are allowed to bring their families with them so they can bring their spouse, they can bring their children. And this, um, th these clients have, um, they come under that visa. So they also are allowed to work for any company without sponsorship from the company. Um, as long as their partner, who is the expatriate, the main visa holder, um, has the valid work permit. So I've worked with a lot of uh, spouses and children of expatriates. You know, sometimes um, the parents relocate when the children are young. They stay here for a couple of years, and then the kids have graduated from university, university and then it's time for them to start looking for a job. But um, the best place to go find information about the different type of visas that will work for you is actually in the IND website, so IND.nl. That is the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And then um, just do a search of um, working visas. Then you're going to get an entire list. It's such a big list. You know, we have visas for spiritual leaders. You know, that's completely different from a student visa, from a partnership visa. We have visas for uh, scientists who are coming to do research and so forth. So that's the best place to go and see the different type of visas and the conditions that accompany them. So uh, if... I want to, if I'm in a sponsored visa through my employer and I want to change to another employer, I also need to be able to have the new employer sponsor this visa, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So your visa, if you, your, your employer is sponsoring your visa, um, you, you, you have a valid visa as long as you work for that employer. But if you decide to change jobs, then your new employer needs to sponsor your visa. Uh, and if they don't, um, then you don't have a right to live and work in the Netherlands. Now that you have a work permit, where next? Where do I start to look for a job? Yes, that's the question um, I get a lot. So when I relocated to the Netherlands from Kenya, I came with big dreams and big ambitions. I was ready to take over the world. And then I got here and I was like, okay, I'm here, what next? And I had to search, you know, where do you find jobs? Um, how do you present yourself? How do you prepare your CV so that they can see, you know, what the experience that you have is actually valid? Uh, and, and valuable to them. I'm taking a step back about my situation. I moved to the Netherlands in 2007, which is about 15 years ago. And um, I moved for a job. So I worked for uh, an NGO in Kenya that worked with parliaments um, in, in Africa. The headquarters was in Amsterdam. And they did have uh, a job opportunity. Um, actually, I, I saw the opportunity on the website and I was, you know, I was very interested. I always wanted to relocate uh, and I saw this as an opportunity. So I asked, um, it was an opportunity to be the executive assistant to the, uh, to the president of the organization who um, was a former member of the Dutch parliament. I did a couple of interviews and they offered me the position 
in Amsterdam. Um, so that was how I relocated. So I actually relocated on a sponsored uh, employer visa. Uh-huh. And I, I moved to the Netherlands and I started working in January 2008. And I was in the company, the organization for almost four years. If someone is to come, therefore, uh, and they want to be able to come into sponsorship, it means that they have to look for a job while they're outside the Netherlands, get to pass the interviews, get the sponsorship, then they are able to come. You cannot come first and apply while you are in here. No, Mm -hmm. no. So um, if you want to come and legally work in the Netherlands, um, you need to have a work visa. And the only way you can get a work visa is if you have a job offer and the employer sponsors you. Or if you come as a spouse. So there has to be a a working visa in place, whether it's for you or for your spouse. There has to be something that has been set up by an employer. So you're not able to apply for uh, a work permit yourself. This is something an employer needs to apply for you. I cannot apply on my own behalf. No, Mm -hmm. no, no, you can't. So we were at the point where we, we, we now are here. Uh, say, for instance, you came in with a valid work permit visa as a spouse or as a child of an expatriate who has now come of age. I need a job. Then where do I click? Where do I start? Where do I look? Yes, and that's actually where I come in as a career coach because I have worked with a lot of clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I mainly work with foreigners that have relocated to Europe. And one of the challenges I saw for so many years when I was working in my corporate job um, was people were, str- pe- you know, foreigners were struggling to get job opportunities. And it's not because that they don't have the right education. It's not that they don't have work experience. It's not that they're not smart. It's just they didn't know how to position themselves in this market. Um, and for a very long time, I was wondering how comes my friends are struggling to get a job? You know, they have master's degrees. You know, they have 10, 12 years of working experience, you know, really good experience, but they were just struggling. So one of the challenges is actually, the first thing is just your your, your resume. How does that look? How has that been put together? That was one of the biggest mistakes I would see, or the biggest uh, roadblocks that I would see with my clients. Um, So people don't take time to put together a powerful resume, uh, a powerful LinkedIn profile, you know. um, And some people just don't know how to do it. You know, when they look at their documents, they think it looks really good. But then um, it looks good from, you know, uh, where your country, um, Mm. so it was good enough. But then you come here, nobody understands it. And truly nobody has time to understand it. Mm-hmm. So when uh, recruiters get your, your your documents, they need to see what they're looking for immediately. Just at a glance, they need to see that. And if they don't see that, they toss it out. Uh-huh. So they lose great talent by just not having the time. 
and we can't blame them because they have one position and over 200 people apply for it. Um, so that is actually up to us to make sure that we have crafted our documents in a way that is in line with the terminologies and the expectations of this market. So is there a sort of cultural or otherwise, is there some sort of difference between the labor market back in Kenya as you compare to the Netherlands? Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, there's, there's a certain expectation in Kenya, you know, people look, people want to see the degrees and the work experience and the big names, you know, that's what they want to see. But here, they want to see your value. What are you going to do for us? Why should we hire you? You know, and that's why you see people who have less work experience, who have, you know, they don't have those degrees and master's degrees actually get jobs. And then the ones who have the degrees don't get the jobs. It's about the value. It's really presenting yourself like, I'm ready to grow with the company. This is what I can bring to the table. This is what I can learn. You know, I'm in for the long haul. Uh -huh. And that's what employers are looking for. Most of the companies, you know, they've ditched that old traditional way of hiring because they realized, you know, they, they, they were not getting the talent they were looking for. Um, they were not looking. They were not getting the motivated and ambitious, you know, um, employees, you know, because there's this saying that you know, find the right people, find the right talent. You can teach the skills later. You need to get people who are highly motivated. They believe in the course. You know, they're willing to do everything to see the success of the course. And, and then you can teach the skills later. You can teach them how to uh, write emails and you can teach them how to, um, you know, market the products uh, because they are already motivated by themselves and they believe in what you are up to. Um, so that's why they've ditched, you know, this name dropping, uh, master's degrees and all that. And they are really looking for the people who, can, they can train and invest in and the people who are going to work with them into the future. Is there some sort of uh, salary threshold, for example, if I'm coming for a what, five euro an hour job versus if someone is coming for arbitrary figure, 100 euros an hour job, is there a limit for the kind of visa that they're sponsoring? Um, yes. Um, so for instance, if you are you know, um, you have the Sachia visa, which is what most students have. At least you need to have a minimum of 2,500 euros as a salary for you to, for a, an employer to sponsor you. If you came, come in as a highly skilled immigrant, um, I think it's about 4,000 euros a month. So um, an employer cannot offer you like 3,000, and they're hiring you as a highly skilled immigrant, um, and they can sponsor you, but they're not meeting the requirements of that type of visa. So again, um, the employers are aware of these rules, and again, they are on the IND website, whereby they can, you know, with each visa, you can see which type of salary, minimum salary, you can actually expect.
Okay. But on the other hand is, um, you know, I tell my clients, do not limit yourself to these salaries. So you need to um, find the right opportunity for yourself that matches your background and something that you're excited about because there are so many jobs on the market. Don't be desperate and just pick the first one with that minimum salary and then you'll be, you feel like you'll be okay because two years later, you'll be back at my desk and we'll be looking for that next job. Okay, very good to hear. If your employment terminates while you are in a sponsored visa, what happens? What, what are the implications? So that actually has happened for a couple of my clients. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're, if you're on a sponsored work visa, so your employer is uh, sponsoring your visa and they terminate your contract, um, you do get a three months um, a visa from the IND to give you the opportunity to look for another job. So it's not you will be fired and you'll be sent on your way home immediately. You do get three months. But if you quit yourself, if you resign from a position, you do not get the three months from the IND because you, it, it, is, it is something that you are planning. So what the IND um, expects is um, you knew a couple of months ago that you were going to resign. So you should have already been making plans for your next move. So you should already be looking for another job that is going to sponsor you. Um, and that way, the moment your contract ends with your current employer, your visa ends. So you should have another visa in place. Okay. But in case you're fired, you know, it's a complete, you know, you, you, they have to give you a notice period. They do, just don't fire you. So if they fire you, they'll be telling you by the end of the month or by the end of two months, we are not going to renew your contract. Then you get an additional three months from the IND um, because this is something that you had not expected. So do you have to notify the IND yourself or does the employer do that? Um, the employer does that, but I would also take the initiative to uh, contact the IND and confirm uh, what your situation is and what options you have. Uh, because there's also um, a fine line between um, how information is, connect, uh, is communicated so sometimes you do have, you know, the people who work for the IND are mainly Dutch people. And um, they might explain something in English that means something completely different. Um, so it's very, very important for you to really take that uh, contact with IND immediately and explain the situation and get advice like, what do you need to do? Do they speak English? Yes, they do. <laughs> they do speak Dutch English. Okay, so you just have to ask somebody who can be able to speak English if you need. Yes, yes. So they can. Uh, they will connect you to somebody who can help you with the information in English. Now, one of the things that uh, has been mentioned quite often with uh, many of my uh, uh, from our podcast. 
listeners is uh, they keep hearing about something called 30% ruling. What is that? So, yes, this is like a tax benefit. Uh, it's mostly for highly skilled immigrants. So people who are earning, you know, they have that highly skilled work permit um, and their minimum salary should be around 4000 and above. So those are the ones who are entitled to um, the 30% ruling. So I will try my best to explain <laughs> what it means. But basically it's, um, you know, um, you have gotten an opportunity to come and work in another country. Um, you have to relocate, you have to, um, you know, get settled in, um, you probably have other things going on in your home country that you still need to take care of. So they do this tax benefit. Um, it was for, for a very long time, it was for 10 years, but now it's been reduced to five years. Um, and so it means 30% of your salary is tax-free if that makes sense. Um, so instead of your 100% salary getting taxed, only 70% of it is taxed. Okay, so let's say you earn 100 euros. So out of these 100 euros, it will be assumed as though you earned 70. Yes. So 70 taxed, the 30 is not taxed, you get it straight back. Yes. That's actually a very good way of explaining it. Is it yes. attractive? Does it attract people to the... To well, the I think um, it's. I've tried my best to explain to my clients about this whole 30%. And I find myself rambling, you know, just trying to explain what it is, um, who is entitled to it, because not everyone is entitled to it, and what what is meant by the 30%. So the way you have explained is actually very clear and straightforward okay good and uh, is it a guarantee that you're going to get 30 percent if you're on a highly skilled migrant visa um so your employer actually has to apply that for you um and sometimes um i've had people who the employer says um they are not entitled to it so this is actually something that the employer has to apply for you cannot apply for it yourself no no, you can't, because it's actually attached to your employment contract. So there are other conditions that also have to be met before. Yes. Uh, okay, so it's not a guarantee that you'll get it. It's only that there are some conditions. If you meet, then you qualify and you ask for it from the government and they give it to you. Yes, yes. All right, now let's talk about contracts. What are kinds of contracts are there in this land of ours? <sighs> this is the one place I only knew of one contract, a job contract. And now you move to, to Europe and then there's um, zero-hour contract. This is more like, I would say, like a freelancer. So you work when, you, when there's an opportunity, when there's work, and then when you don't work, nobody's paying you. So that's a zero-hour contract. It's if there's work, you get called, you work, and then when there's no work, 
nobody's paying you and nobody you know is 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 following up is it like uh, sounds a lot like a gig yes <laughs> yes so um and and that is put that way because there are a lot of employment rules in the Netherlands um so this is a way of employers protecting themselves so um if they put you on a different contract when you're not working your employer still needs to pay you so for instance uh-huh. if you have a 40 hour contract and then you go on holiday for 3 weeks you still get paid for the 3 weeks you know you get sick you still get paid um and so forth um but if you you're on a zero hour contract if you go on holiday nobody's paying you when you're on holiday if you become sick nobody's paying you while you're sick so that's um part of the employment rules and so we have zero hour contracts we have part time contracts um most this and these are very very popular in europe you know because people are taking care of children young children um and they still need to work so um then they they opt to go for part time contracts and then we have full time contracts um so full time contracts can be 36 hours um they can be 38 hours and they can be 40 hours so we don't have contracts above 40 hours anything above 40 hours is considered overtime 40 hours per year per week sorry yes i should have uh, specified that 40 hours per week so a full time contract is uh, 36 hours a week 38 hours a week or 40 hours a week okay so anything below 32 hours is part time yeah 32 except, and below except zero hour contract where you which is a gig which you've seen as we've seen before correct All right, good. And uh, can you change between those two contracts? Say for example, today you're working 32 and uh, tomorrow now your child goes to school, so you realize you have a bit more time. Can I upgrade it to a 40-hour uh, contract? So that's something you need to discuss with your employer. Um so if there is an opportunity for you to work 40 hours, then they will of course accept that, but sometimes they only needed somebody for 32 hours and they don't have anything for to upgrade you to a full-time contract so that's a discussion that happens between you and your employer and the opportunity that is available now there's after you have worked there are some things that are obligatory one is getting paid and the second is taxes let's start with getting paid how do you get your money Um so if you are on a full-time contract um mostly you get your money at the end of the month. So once a month you get your salary. This is usually transferred to your bank account. Um the taxes have been deducted and we have also all kinds of small contributions that are deducted before you get your net salary. Uh-huh. If you are in a temporary sort of employment or a zero hour contract then the payments are mostly weekly they could also be biweekly but most of the times you get paid every week and again you get this money into your bank bank account nothing is paid in cash 
and all the taxes and deductions have already been deducted before you get the net amount into your bank account. So which means you you therefore need a bank account. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, in the Netherlands, so when you have a valid work permit, you get, um, it's like a social security number. It's called a SOFI number. And that is attached to everything. So once you have the SOFI number, then it's a green light to go open a bank account. Um, you cannot be employed. The first thing they will ask is your bank account bank, bank account details. So SOFI number is the same as BSN. BSN number, yes. Mm-hmm. So you get that. And if you don't have that, most likely you don't have a valid work permit. Okay, so this is the social security number that attaches you to everything from bank to employer to phone, telephone contract, everything. Everything, health insurance, driving license. And um, it's just one document and they can see everything in the system. So if they just need to ask your last name and your date of birth and they're able to see everything. Okay, good. Next is taxes. How does that work? So taxes, um, you have to pay taxes in, in this country and it's very, very expensive. So when it comes to um, income tax, it's been divided into two categories. Um, and the first one is um, it's calculated by your annual income, gross income. So if you earn between zero to 69,399 euros per year, then you're in the tax bracket of 37.07%. So this is according to 2022, and this changes a lot. Um, So right now, in 2022, um, if you earn between zero to 69,000 euros per year, then you're in the tax bracket of 37.07%. So which means for every 100 euros, the government takes 37 euros. Absolutely. And then if you earn above 69,399 and above, then you get to the next tax bracket, which is 49.50%. That is almost half your, your income. Yes. So if you earn way above when you earn 69,000 and above, then you jump to the next tax bracket. So a tip I would give when you're negotiating your salary is if you're closer to the 69, negotiate to get different benefits. Don't negotiate to get to 69 or 70,000 because then you move to the next tax bracket. So you either jump over to the next tax bracket with more than 20,000. And if not, I would negotiate maybe more holiday days or training allowance um, because you might be earning 72,000 and you actually earn less net income than somebody who whose gross is 65,000 euros a year. Okay, good. That is great insight. And uh, are bonuses taxed the same? No. So bonuses and overtime um, are taxed much, much higher. 
So the taxes um, are very, it's a very tricky subject. You know, most of the time it's just your accountant that has the level of detail um, re relating to taxes. Um, so if you go to the belasting dinst, that is the tax services. Tax services in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. If you're in another country in Europe, just find the official tax services uh, website. Um, you would be able to find the different tax categories and where your case personally falls in. Very well. How about working in the public sector? Can I work in the public sector as a sponsored visa? Do they do that? Actually, yes. Yes. So we have like um, uh, the government institutions, um, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. We do have a lot of foreigners that are working in these uh, organizations. Um, yes. So yeah. the, the thing is, if those are the opportunities you want to pursue and they, they're there, go ahead. How about the police or the army or as an elected official, can I? That's a good question. Um, why not? But for that, actually, you need to be a Dutch citizen to be able to work um, in the public service as a police, uh, police uh, in the army, as an elected official, in city halls. Um, the requirement is you need to be a Dutch citizen. I like to ask this question. If you knew then, in 2007, if you knew then what you know now, what would you have done differently? Wow, that's a big question. What I would have done is um, I would have chosen a career that I was truly passionate about. I would have taken more time to pursue something that I could be or I was good at and then gone all in. Um, my thought process was I just wanted to have a good salary. So I went for jobs looking at the money. So you didn't have the you didn't think about anything else other than the money, maybe the benefits or the time that it will take in terms of the holidays that you'll have and the working hours. No. For me, I was ready to work. I'm a hard worker, I have a strong work ethic, and I wanted to be compensated very well for that because um, that was for me what I translated as, yeah, that was just the goal for me. But when I look at it right now, there is no way I would have gotten to where I am without going through everything I went through. So I think it would be a bit unfair for somebody who is just starting out telling them to look for something they love, something they're passionate about, something they're good at, because it has taken me all these years and having worked in different organizations, in my case, chasing money, but I, I realized I was in a vicious cycle. It reached a point whereby I was offered a job that was double my current salary, and I thought I was going to be the happiest. And I only worked in that organization, in that company for a year and seven months and sent in my resignation letter because I was just not happy. And 
And that's when I decided to do career coaching, which is something I'm very passionate about. And I feel like I'm adding value. You know, this is something I would actually do whether I'm getting paid or not. So that's what I would have told myself back in 2007. In your experience, therefore, having to deal with uh, all sorts of uh, expatriates and migrants and people coming in, relocating, what are the most common mistakes that you see happening that they do that uh, you would want to have them corrected? I think it's they sell themselves short. And this is a conversation I have with almost each and every, every client that I work with. They come in, they don't understand their worth. They don't understand what they have done in the past, how valuable that would be to a potential client. And most of the, of the time, they really sell themselves short. They feel like I need to enter um, at a lower position so that I can learn and become comfortable. And then they can see how valuable I am and then they're going to promote me. No, you need to enter the market strong. You need to get in with confidence. And this is one of the things I really work with them, you know, to tell them about their worth and for them to understand it and to present that during an interview. So don't make the mistake of taking a lower job, thinking that they're going to, you know, see how valuable you are and then promote you. They will keep you at the same position. And the only alternative you'll have is to leave that job and find another job. Another thing is take your time to really make sure that your documents are crafted properly. So your, your resume, your LinkedIn profile, LinkedIn is so important. It's like a public CV. And anybody can see it. You know, and some people even make the mistake of hiding it. So if you're looking for a job, why would you hide it? Most likely you hide it because it's not properly put together or you feel like your enemies somewhere are looking at it. <laughs> but it's actually a very powerful platform and people actually get headhunted on LinkedIn. I have been headhunted head several times um, just by my profile on LinkedIn. So um, make sure that your LinkedIn profile is amazing and don't hide it. Put it out there for everyone to see. Make sure people see your photo. People don't even put photos. You know, that's why you don't get discovered. Because they just see words. They cannot put a face to, to the profile. You get passed by. So that's another mistake that people make. And then really go out there with confidence. Prepare for the interviews. Prepare very well for the interviews. Understand the job description. Uh, learn a little bit about the company. And also ask questions in between the interviews. Don't wait until the very end when you're asked, do you have any questions? And then that's when you come in with your questions. And sometimes people don't even have questions. That's a big mistake. If there's something you don't understand and you would like to understand, present it at an interview. 
it's a conversation. As much as they're getting to know you, it's your opportunity to get to know them and to get to know the company and the position. If I want your services, where can I find you? So if you would like to get in contact with me and discuss the opportunity of us working together, or sometimes you just want to talk to somebody about a dilemma, a career dilemma that you have, just a quick question, feel free to contact me. You can find me on LinkedIn and you can find me under the name Caroline Washeke Murigi Krauya. Okay, we will put all that in the description. All right, thank you. Okay, anything else in conclusion? To conclude for us, anything uh, we may have missed? Well, what I, w- I just want to say is, um, if you, I know most people who relocate here come with big dreams and ambitions. We, we, we've heard of the opportunities abroad. And I want to confirm to you that those opportunities are there. You need to go get them and, you know, take advantage of them because they are there. So don't give up on your dreams. I want to thank you for your time during this session. And um, if you have any questions, you know, reach out, you know, ask for help and reach out. Very well. Thank you very much, Caroline. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure hosting you today. Thank you so much as well. Okay, thank you listeners for that. That was Caroline uh, for you today. And uh, we thank you for listening and uh, goodbye. Goodbye.